to talk to you this morning. Something God laid on my heart. It's called the I tie and title it. I wrestled a little bit with the with the title on this, but the title I settled on was the greatest temptation you and I, and I want to put myself in that, that you and I will ever have. Um, we are continually being tested as a born again believer. We are continually being tested. Uh, there was a book written, oh, let's see, probably about five years ago. Uh, I believe it was by Josh McDowell. And it was entitled Beliefs or Convictions. And he did a lot of the book on what I call a Barna survey. I don't know if you're familiar with Barna. They did big surveys. And so they do a lot of Christian surveys. I don't know the quality of surveys, do you? As after this last election, I think I don't have a whole lot of faith in surveys, you know, and polls and all that. The problem is they don't ask the right people. But nevertheless, the Barna did their best. And you can only put so much weight on surveys, is what I'm trying to get at. But Barna did surveys and, and couldn't believe when they did surveys among teenagers how that they would say that they believed the Bible, and, 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 and specifically being questioned in these surveys, but when it got to um, more specifics, uh, they didn't. Like, they believe in six actual days of creation, they said, well, no. They said they believe the Bible. When you believe in six actual days of creation, they said, well, no, I, it could be either way. It could be whatever. Then they, were, they just, they waffled. On, on, on what you would call the very foundations. When we get up here and say the, the uh, doctrines of Scripture, we're talking about foundational teachings that, that really cannot be denied and call yourself a follower of Jesus. Jesus validated the entire Bible. With what he said in the New Testament, remember the only Bible they had were the Old Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament, he validated the entire Old Testament as being the very words of God. Paul and Peter validated Jesus' words as being the very words of God, and Peter validated Paul's words as being the very word of God. And so when it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that's in the New Testament, written by Paul and Timothy, validating what was written up to that point under inspiration. Now, if we really have the Bible, and if this really is the very word of God, it would make sense to me that we would follow it. Does it not make sense to you? You'd, you'd do what it said, right? I mean, they did a survey while I listened to, uh, it was a, a TV kind of a visual survey on the streets of New York City on the Ten Commandments. Many of you may have seen that. They, did a, they asked these people they would meet along the street there. They would say, uh, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, do you believe thou shalt not murder, or not, not kill. Do you believe that's a commandment or a suggestion? And you couldn't believe. Seventy-some-odd percent of those people felt the Ten Commandments, really, when they got down to it, were just suggestions. So he started getting, he started making something funny out of it. He said he called them the Ten Suggestions. God's not given us suggestions in this book. This is not a book of, well, you can take it or leave it, or this is good for you, or maybe you like it, maybe you don't. This, these are commandments from the God who made you. These are commandments from the God who made the atom, who made molecules, 
who made all that the Hubble telescope looks at even past what the Hubble, by the way, they're making a new Hubble telescope of gold line mirrors, and they say they're going to look way past where Hubble's able to look at right now. I'm excited at when it gets launched up there, and it's not far, it's almost made now, getting ready to be launched. And they're going to, it's some sort of an infrared mirror, some sort of, they're going to see stuff they've never seen before. I'm excited. People that believe the Bible are not afraid of science. We're not afraid of what they're going to find in science. We, we welcome what they find if it's real science, amen. Not some phony, baloney belief system that they call science, which is what evolution is, by the way. There's no proof for it at all. Let me, let me start out with Ezekiel, if you can find it. It's Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations and then Ezekiel. I just finished reading these three books. It's not unusual as I read through these books that God gives me something to bring to you. <clears throat> so he did. Here we are in Ezekiel chapter 33. Now chapter 33, normally I have preached out of the chapter a few times on other subjects. I am not going to address that, and I don't believe I've ever addressed at all this section here in verse 30 through 33. But I, I encourage you to read Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel 33. It's one of the more powerful chapters of all the Bible. It talks about being a watchman, and God has set Ezekiel as a watchman to the children of Israel. He's told Ezekiel to warn the wicked. He's also told, told all of us to warn the wicked of their wicked way, also to warn the righteous if they backslide and they get into sin, uh, to warn them about it. We Part of our responsibility as, as seekers of truth and possessors of truth is as watchmen. We are here to help each other. That carries right over to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. We're to, we're to warn each other as we see the day approaching, the evil day approaching, because we're, to, we're here to help each other and lift each other up towards the light. If one of us falls and we want to do that with each other, that should be our, our function. Let me read in verse 13 and give you a context of this. Also, uh, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking about against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, everyone to his brother, saying. In other words, Ezekiel had warned these people, given these people what he was told of God to give them, and they were talking about him. People talk. There's no doubt about it. And in verse 31 it says, And they come unto thee as people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they... And I want you to try to, if you mark your Bible, underline, but they will not do them. Please underline that. They will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them, he's talking to Ezekiel primarily, to us secondarily, thou art unto them as a very lovely song, of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on the instrument. For they hear thy words. But then mark this again, this phrase, a little different than the first phrase, but they do them not. The first phrase, but they will not do them. The second phrase, but they do them not, if you'd underline that. And when this cometh to pass, and lo, it will come, then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. Let me start out to try to define what is a prophet. What is a prophet? 
A prophet simply is a person that is God-called and God-appointed, definitely not self-appointed. If you don't, if you like some reference for that, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, uh, it says, No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Talking about the priesthood there of the Old Testament. But also of the New Testament. God's method has not changed from the Old Testament and New Testament on calling his man. When he called the disciples, they did not, the 12 disciples did not pick themselves and say, hey, I want to be on your team. Jesus said, great. He went and called all of the disciples, even Paul, to replace Judas, uh, as he called himself an apostle, called out of due season. He was, he was, uh, and by the way, I think Paul's name is going to be on the foundations there of, of the New Jerusalem, and there will be 12 apostles. But those apostles are called of God. God's men are not self-appointed. God forbid the church that has a self-appointed or self-called pastor. They're there. They're out there. There's some people who just say, I think being in the pastor it would be an easy way of life. I think you only got to work 30 minutes uh, a day. Uh, maybe 30, 45 minutes if he's a long-winded one, uh, a week, and, and the rest of the week, really, I've had people come up to me and say, what do you do? What do you do? Uh, and they ask uh, uh, Brother Marty, what do you do? They, they ask uh, Brother Chris, what do you do? Uh, they ask anybody that's in the ministry, what do you do? Uh, uh, you know, most of the time I don't even answer. It's just, it'd be, it's, it's like I ask you, what do you do? You stay-at-home women. What do you do all day? Take naps, eat bonbons? What do you do? Stay-at-home women work, amen? Women with three kids, I want to ask you, what do you do? Just eat bonbons and, you know, watch uh, soap operas? No, you work. Man, man you, you get at it, you keep... Hey, clean the house a big job, doing dishes, getting ready, getting the laundry done, doing all the stuff around there, keeping the perfectly spick and span beautiful home clean as a whistle so when your husband comes home he's happy, that's hard. Also maybe mythology too, but it's hard. What do you do? A pastor that's called of God or a, a man that's called of God in some ways, has an office as the Old Testament prophet has. Um, uh, the prophet speaks what God tells him to speak. That's first and foremost. He's called of God. He's appointed of God. When I, when I was 10 years old, God came by my house and, and, and no doubt called me to do something for him uh, unusual. He didn't tell me all the specifics. I went into my mom and dad. It was, over, it was past 10 o'clock at night. I knocked on their bedroom door. That was a verboten. And I uh, went in. They let me come in. And I said, I think God just called me to do something for him. That's a 10-year-old kid. And, and they said, well, go back and tell him you'll do whatever he asks you to do. I went back in the room and said, Lord, I'll do whatever he asked me to do. I had no idea what it was. God kept that call up, kept reminding me of that thing. Eventually, when I was 18 years old, I was the, in our youth group, I was the last person that would have ever gone to Bob Jones University. When I told them that God was moving me to go to Bob Jones University, our whole youth group mocked me and laughed at me and said, you'll never make it. Uh, you're too crazy. They're never going to let you go through that school. And I just agreed with them. I said, yeah, I don't think I, 
I don't want to go, but that's where God, I want to come down here and party, go to the party school down here at Edison Community. God grabbed a hold of me and shook me and took me to Bob Jones University as a married man with a kid. And how in the world we made it through. But God did. In other words, God's hand is upon his men. And he sees to it that they follow him. And he tells them what to speak. He tells them what to say. And if you're going to do what God wants you to do, you better say what he wants you to say. It's usually not something, by the way, people want to hear. Amen. You don't say what God. No, anybody can get up here and 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 tell you you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're a winner. Everybody gets a participation trophy. Somebody came up to me today, and they were talking to me, and they said, "Preacher, I could see this was very distasteful to him." They said, "You got something on your nose." I go, some of my nose, he said, you got something right there on your nose. Well, I just had, I went into a dermatologist, and you know how they freeze when they get pre-cancer, they freeze it. This froze off a big thing on my nose, and it was a nasty old scab. I said, it looks like a booger, doesn't it? They said, yeah. I said, well, you know, you're a friend. Thank you for telling me. A real friend does not let you preach the whole time you preach up here with your zipper down. They won't let you do it. They'll come up here and they'll say, preacher. That's why I don't have a clear lexicon either. A lot of times as friends, you say things people don't want to hear. Amen. Have you ever eaten with somebody that they were eating that little egg on their face there that bothered you, it just made you crazy, but you didn't want to tell them, but you knew you had to tell them because you couldn't let them go through the whole time sitting there? I'd have pre- I can't tell you how many. But if you love somebody, you've got to tell them the truth, right? That's part of the prophet. It, it is the truth that people need to hear. They don't need to hear what is today called political correctness. Political correctness is the old word in the Bible, flattery. It's just, it's, it's, it's not telling people the honest truth about things. And usually, by the way, the prophet has something to tell his God's people that has to, has to do with change. Uh, and, and the kind of change he talks about is a moving away from evil. Because that's God's will for his people. Why? God knows that evil will destroy you. Evil will take every good thing that he has prepared for you away from you. Evil will rob you. Evil will leave you wasted and broken and laugh at you as it walks out. Evil is your worst enemy. And let me just use the word sin. It was a, syn- a synonym for that. Sin. If you can, If you and I can get a good grip on how awful sin is and how how destructive it is and how horrible it is, we'd stay away from it. I was in the hospital a while back here with a little heart uh, AFib and, and and I don't fib. But they said I did. AFib. But uh, I had just had a little surgery on my back. had a cyst taken off my back. The stitches were still there. And the woman in the hospital saw that, and she said, oh, oh, now make sure you keep that covered. 
make sure you don't let that touch the sheets. Make sure you keep something on it. I said, why? She says, MRSA. We have bacteria in the hospital here that is resistant to antibiotics and resistant. I says, is it resistant to good old-fashioned bleach? I think you can cure the world with bleach. I think you gargle with bleach, you do not have to worry about periodontal diseases. You don't have any skin left in your mouth, but you don't have to worry about periodontal diseases. But a prophet usually has to tell people they need to change. They have to move away from evil. And in the positive direction, they have to move towards good. And they need to stop wicked living and commence good living. Now, if, if the little bit of experience I've had in my life, uh, change is almost never pleasant. Make sense? The, the writers of the Declaration of Independence, I, I looked it up again to get the exact quote of it, and here's what it says. All experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. I hope you get that. Let me interpret that. We would rather put up with something because we're used to it. Even if it's wrong, and even if it's not, even if it's hurtful to us, because we simply don't like to get into an area that we're not accustomed to. We don't like to change. Humanly speaking, the, the writers of the Declaration of Independence understood the human nature so well. He said, be careful. You'll, you'll Praise God, this last election, we finally threw off something that should have been thrown off uh, eight years ago. But people were willing to suffer while things were sufferable rather than to change those things. They finally got enough of it and said, we're going to vote. Well, we have an aversion to change, especially the change, that kind of change that is away from something that we have pleasure from or that we have comfort from. Have you ever heard of the term comfort zone? Ooh, brother, don't try to take somebody out of their comfort zone. Now, what's a comfort zone? Something you're comfortable with oftentimes can just be something you're used to. It doesn't even have to be good. It just can be something you're used to. What do you, what do you think Jesus upset the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers and the Herodians? Why do you think he upset them? He ripped them out of their customary things. He attacked what they were used to. He was going to turn up. Why do you think the apostles said, here come the men that are turning the world upside down? What were they all saying? They were all saying the same thing. We don't like change. But the prophet is called of God, not of himself, to go to God's people and to tell them things that is going to cause them, at least in, he's going to encourage them and command them from God, thus saith the Lord, to change. And it makes sense to me, the first reaction, that when you hear the Bible and it contradicts something you believe, that you get mad. They say the first stage of, of getting right with God is madness. The second stage is sadness. And the third stage after you do what God tells you to do is gladness. So it's, it's madness, sadness, and gladness. I've gone through it. 
doctor's gone through it, I'm sure. Other people have gone through it. You're going to get right. You're going to get mad. Don't get up. Hey, when I tell people the truth, a lot of times first reaction is they're mad. You, how dare you tell me that? Who are you to say that? I'm nobody. I'm just God's man doing what he wants me to do. Don't shoot the messenger. But oftentimes they did. As in Hezekiah, as in Jeremiah, they were, they, they, they were after the messenger. So, but, but this explains, by the way, this whole resistance to change, explains what Jesus said. Take your Bibles to John chapter 3. I'm doing a little Bible study here this morning. John chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. Maybe the most profound truth of all the New Testament, besides salvation itself, is found in Jesus' words after the most famous verse in the New Testament, without, my, without any doubt in my mind, John 3.16. So we find in John 3, 19, he said, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. And men loved darkness. That was what they were used to, rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, they don't just dislike it. You've got to believe Jesus over, what, over your own experience. They hate it. They hate the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved, lest there would be some change. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they're wrought in God. People will die and spend eternity in hell because they simply did not want to give up what they were used to. It's a sad thing. They're going to die and spend eternity in an uncomfortable... They, they say, they, getting right with God make you uncomfortable? It'll make you real uncomfortable. Following the Word of God, does that make you uncomfortable? It'll make you real uncomfortable. But be a little... Be uncomfortable now than to eventually be uncomfortable in hell for all eternity. Because God is not going to let you stay in a comfort zone in your willfulness and in your sin. He's not going to let you stay there. Ultimately, you're going to be judged by him. You're going to run into that wall uh, called God, and he's going to judge you for your sins, and you're going to be caused to pay for your own evil and your own wickedness decisions and all those things that were done in secret, and you're going to be cast into the place called the lake of fire. And forever, one notable thing about the place called hell is it's uncomfortable. God's going to say you're not longer going to be comfortable. There'll be no rest. Look it up yourself. Revelation chapter 14, verse 10 and on. There'll be no rest day or night. No rest. Don't go there, whatever happens. Man, people will die and spend eternity. People still like to hear. What's funny about this whole in this passage brings us out that we read. People still like to hear what the prophet says, even if it contradicts what they are doing or living or, or have in their mind. Because... Uh, maybe because of their curiosity, maybe because uh, they have a fear and they want to hear. Uh, I've had people come to me uh, for consult, and, and they don't know me. I don't know them. They have read maybe about Gospel Baptist. They read our sign. They saw us on the website, but they show up at the office and say, Preacher, I want a few minutes of your time. I need to talk to you. I said, Who are you? He said, Well, you don't know me. I, I know you some, but you don't know me. And I'm, gonna, I'm going through a decision-making here. I've gone to four or five other pastors. I want to ask you what, what your opinion is. I said, well, why do you want to ask me? He says, well, from what I've been able to tell, you believe the Bible. I said, yes, I believe the Bible. Uh, will you tell me what the Bible says? I said, I will tell you what the Bible says, by the grace of God. 
He said, good, that's why I'm here. They, they, they lay out their situation. I say, here's what the Bible says. He says, I thought that's what you were going to say, but I'm not going to do it. Why do, you want it? Why do you want me to tell you? Because I just wanted to know what the Bible said. That's exactly the phrase. I'm not going to do it, but I just wanted to know what it said. Wow. So some want to, want to come and go to church and hear the prophet of God or hear the preacher of God to speak just out of, out of curiosity. Some, they, they have fear of what's going to happen. They want to know what the Bible says. But I believe some come from a genuine desire to hear what God has to, to say. But let me add this one statement. They want to do what God says. Now that separates the men from the boys right there. They want to do what God says. When they come, look at look in, uh, in, in verse 31 there of Ezekiel 33. They, they come to God's man, but and, and he cannot tell who's who. He says, they come unto thee, that's God's man, unto Ezekiel, as the people cometh, as the people of God, I think is the understanding there. They sit before thee as my people, as the people of God. Who are the people of God? Those are the people of God that have heard the truth and do it. You can't read the, if you go back to verse 1 and read down through to verse 3, you're going to get, it. the context is, is watertight. The people of God ultimately are the people who not only hear the word of God, but they do it. Now, is salvation by works? No. But salvation works. Do you get saved by your good works? No. But if you get saved, you do good works. You cannot have God in you without making a difference. And you know, we are so prone to deceive ourselves. What's the worst person in the world to deceive? Yourself. You may want to deceive your mom and dad. You want to deceive your friend. Don't deceive yourself. But the Bible says literally people deceive themselves. They convince themselves that what they do has nothing to do with what they believe. This goes back to Josh McDowell's survey with Barna and the teenagers. Basically what that survey figured out was teachers say they be, the, the kids said they believed they, knew, they, they would not get off of that. They, they believed the Bible was the very word of God, but then they, when queried, they didn't want to do it. Brother, you don't have a biblical belief if it isn't followed by actions. Get it? Taught from one end of the Bible all the way to the other end of the Bible. They come as the people. You can't tell the difference. But they will, look, it says, they hear thy words in verse 31 there, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth ever covetousness. That's a strange thing there. That's a strange verse. They come and listen. They sit as my people. They vote with their feet. They vote with their presence. They express their happiness and approval, verbally, even maybe financially. They show much love. I think this is all over America today, all over the world. Still going on. But they're really interested, the word covetousness, in the world. Materialism. The, the, I put it this way. Their, their God is gain. Gain is their God. 
In other words, their focus is this world. Materialism reigns uh, as instead of the kingdom of God. Now, let me try to get doesn't mean they're all rich. doesn't mean that that's the make it. Covetousness is a broad word. It is the number one mentioned sin in the New Testament, if I, if I remember right. It, it, is, it is instead of seeking God for your satisfaction, you're seeking this world. What satisfies you? The truth is, nothing satisfies you but God. If you chase covetousness or this world as a form of satisfaction, you're never going to reach it. It's like the proverbial carrot in front of the donkey. He'll just keep going for it, but you never quite get it. How do you, all you got to do is look at Hollywood. Hollywood's full of people like that. They have fame, they have fortune, and they even got looks. They got something only God can give. Looks. Some of them people are beautiful people. They, they're called the beautiful people. Some of the most miserable human beings on planet Earth are the people who've got it all. Prince. Handsome young man. Huge amount of popularity. Unbelievable amount of money. Miserable. Elvis. Same thing. Go down through the list of movie stars. Go down through the list of rock stars. Go down through the list. They've got a uh, uh, fame and they've got fortune. Everywhere they go, people, yay, can I have her signature? Can I? They're tormented souls. Because God's made this world. First of all, God made you. And he's made you. And he knows how you can be satisfied. And he is the only thing and one that can satisfy you. But boy, when you come to Jesus and ask you for your sins to be forgiven, and in faith honestly believe him as the, as the only one that provided salvation for you, and indeed resurrected, and indeed is on the right hand of God, in other words, you begin to believe the Bible is the very word of God, and you want to do it. You're willing to change. God floods you with peace. The God of peace gives you the peace of God. And you begin to have a satisfaction that's from inside out. You still have physical problems. You still have pain. You still cry over losses of things. But you got peace and joy in the middle of all that that nobody can even understand. The Bible says the world doesn't understand it. They don't get it. I've seen people die. I've been at the bedside of a number of people that died. And I can tell you the people who have Jesus die different than people who don't have Jesus. People who have Jesus have really a sweet death. I hate to say it that way, but they have a sweet death. When my dad was dying, we sang songs of Zion. Uh, and he, he tried to mouth them with me. He was almost out of it. And he would still, he was dying. Getting right to him. I said, oh, Maureen, you're getting, to make, you're getting ready to make your last landing. He was singing, and my mom was singing, and we sang, and Mouse sang, his sister, and other people in the room were singing. You go to unsaved people when they die, see what they're doing. They're wailing. They're afraid. The Bible says they're held captive their whole life by the fear of death. But not the born-again Christian, not, especially not the Christian, and if I may say this carefully, that is willing to do the will of God. Because, see, that's not just an Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 33. That's not just not Old Testament. That's New Testament. 
The proof is in the pudding. That's deep, isn't it? Especially before lunch here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Take it, take a gander over there, and I'm, I'm circling the airport here. Beware of false prophets, Jesus' words, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs, or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. You know what I want to say after some of what Jesus teaches? No offense. It's no offense to him at all, because it's, it, what Jesus is speaking here is profundity. But I want to go, duh. That's a third grade level. I've been listening lately to the news media, the, the liberal news media, and they're scratching their head really wondering what happened. And one of them said, man, Trump spoke in third grade language. And beat us. And I'm like, duh. Jesus is speaking in third grade language. In this, in this verse here in 759, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Yeah. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Yeah. Uh, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Yeah. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down, cast into the fire. In other words, it's no good. Everybody knows that in agriculture. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Ultimately, if you're born from heaven, you will be willing to obey those things that are told you from heaven, and you will live like it, and your life will align with what your mouth says. I worry, and, and, and rightfully so, biblically so, worried for the people who call themselves Christian, and you cannot talk them out of it, that do not do the will of God. I'm worried for them. I'm concerned for them. That they'll stand before the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment seat, and tell Jesus the same thing they told me. I got saved when I was 12 years old, baptized in Baptist church down there out in the country, and I'm saved. Well, when's the last time I read about it? I don't need to read that. When's the last time I went to church? I don't need to go once in a while. There's a bunch of hypocrites at church. Well, do you ever tell anybody about Jesus? I think religion is a private matter. I'm going to be worried about them when they stand before Jesus, and he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye. Cursed, you workers of iniquity. They're going to say, but, 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 but I'm saved. And God says, no, 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 no. You're not my people. You came in as my people. You sat before my preachers as my people. You talked like my people. But you did not do what my people do. The verse behind me and above you, above me and behind me, you've read it hundreds of times possibly. Blessed are they to hear the word of God and do it and keep it. All through scripture that is consistent. Remember, you're not saved by works, but you if you're saved, it works. You're not saved by your by your actions uh, of, 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 of quit smoking, quit drinking, quit doing this, quit doing that. But when you get saved, you 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 quit those things. Because the Holy Spirit in you, which is God in you now, as a new child of God, will 
convict you to be like Christ. And what was acceptable in your life will now be unacceptable. What was was comfortable will now be uncomfortable. What was uh, okay will not be okay because you're being made in the image of Christ if you're truly born from heaven. Examine yourself, people. Are you in the group called the children of God? He says in verse 32, Thou art of them that are as a and lo, thou art unto them as a lovely song and one that has a pleasant voice. Uh, uh, and and and, and, and you play well the instrument. The world admires somebody with talent. The world admires the person that has a assurance that they're saved. The world admires people that that, that believe the word of God in in a, in a lot of ways, but they won't do what they say. They don't want to do those things God commands. Take your Bibles for the last place, if you, if you that are fluent in the Word of God, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. John had the same situation in the early church, first century. And they went out from, I talk about people of the, of the church there, people of the local church. He said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were never, if I may say, never, but not of us. He's not talking just about attendance here. He's talking about being part of the group in spirit, soul, body. You know what I mean? For it. He's, 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 uh, he, he's saying that those people out there that I meet door to door, which want no part of the local church, any local church. There's no church meets up to their standards. There's no deacons that quite meet up to their standards. No pastors meet up to theirs. There's some church got this inconsistency, and this church got that inconsistency, and that church got that. They're not, they're no more saved than a man in the moon, according to the Bible. Because they had that trouble right back, right here, right here. Jesus said, Luke, 11, 28 behind me. Not, you're not blessed if you hear the word of God and go to church and, and give money to an organization. You're only blessed if you hear the word of God and keep it. Are you, the question I, I end with, are you part of the doers of the word of God? Because twice in this passage in Ezekiel, he says, they hear, but they don't do them. They hear, but they don't do them. They hear, but they don't do them. Man, reevaluate re your world. Remember, listen, I believe some people, I hate to say this, but it's probably inevitable because this, this not only is preached here, but this goes over the Internet, often listened at in so many different foreign countries, uh, 128,000 downloads last year and all over the world, and some people are listening to this, and they think that they somehow can fool God. Somehow they can pretend to be a Christian and not practice being a Christian. Trust me when I tell you this, you will not fool God. The Bible says God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. You sow to the flesh, you reap to the flesh corruption. You sow to the Spirit, 
you reap of the Spirit, life everlasting. It comes down not just to what you intellectually assent to. It comes down to what you believe with all your heart. And if you believe something with your heart, it changes the way your feet go and where you go and what you do. God's salvation's real. It's not pretend. It's practice. Father, help us this morning. Give us wisdom from above. I believe this is preached for someone listening to me that the Spirit of God in one last effort is seeking to save. You do not rejoice in the death of the wicked. The Bible, in this very chapter of 33 Ezekiel, you talk about not rejoicing in the death of the wicked, but that he would turn and that he would repent and that he would come on board. But God's not impressed with your verbal assent. God's not impressed with your church attendance. God's not impressed with your financial contributions. God wants you to do his will when nobody's watching. God wants you to do in secret that which is pleasing in his sight. Is that what your life is? You say, preacher, I, I struggle. We're not talking about people who stumble and fall and then get up. The Bible says the righteous falls seven times and rises up again. We're talking about people who really are not born from heaven, but they have a form of religion with no power. Is that you this morning? Why don't you change it? Shake yourself. Shake yourself. Why don't you come in the moment as we sing, Why, can't, why don't you allow us to just take the Bible and show you the Word of God? Pray with you. Encourage you. Father, help us today. Open doors that no man can shut. In Jesus' name, amen. You come. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.